that the government, though not absolutely perfect, is one of the best in the world. I have little doubt. The words of President George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the challenges facing the Republic this week. We'll cover issues of the week in our Hot Take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week segment. Please make sure to subscribe, give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. But first, Patrick, on this remarkable week, what is new on the polling front? Well, we had a few uh, new polls out just in advance of the impeachment vote. Uh, But what we've noticed as this has gone on over the past few days is there's been a slight uptick in Trump's average approval rating across these polls over the past five days, uh, going up from maybe 41.8 to 43.2.3. So basically going up a little bit more than a point. So there's kind kind of that going on. But if you dig down, we've Into these polling numbers, we've seen a big gap between strongly approve and strongly disapprove. So you take the people who have an absolutely solid opinion of Donald Trump and those who disapprove, significantly higher number than those who approve in those strong numbers. And the NBC Washington, uh, uh, not Washington Post, the NBC Wall Wall Street Journal poll this week had another interesting point on and looking at it by Trump's reelection. Are you certain to vote for Trump? Or are you certain to vote against Trump? So 34% say they're certain to vote for Trump, but 48% say they're wow. certain to vote against Trump. And that's very similar to what we've seen. Here, I, I have an interesting, let me throw in an interesting thought here. Um, 48% against 34-4. What's interesting to me right here is that the, the polls right now for impeachment are landing at 48-48. So it almost seems that the people who are against are fully for the impeachment and removal, and the people who are sort of on the fence are really not for it, actually. Doesn't that suggest right. that? Right. The people who are for Trump are those who basically are saying, that, you know, they're the group that is solidly for him, but the rest of them are like status quo type of mm-hmm. voters. Like, you know, okay, this is what we've got right now, and it might not be the greatest thing, but... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't see enough to go ahead and change that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why, you know, how this plays out is going to be really uh, interesting in terms of who the actual Democratic nominee is and and what these voters who are soft on Trump think of him. And let me just put this in perspective, because NBC and Washington, uh, Wall Street Journal asked this question eight years ago, exactly eight years ago, Mm -hmm. about President Obama. And they got the same number for four, 34% said that they were certain to vote for Obama. But when they asked, are you certain to vote against Obama? Only 37% said that. So it was an even split versus the 80, 48% that we see today. So 37% were certain to vote against Obama. 48% are certain to vote against Trump. Well, to give to give Democrats some optimism with this poll, you can look back to 2018 and see that the numbers weren't that far apart. That they, they were around there at that time. And you saw a huge flip of the House. Uh, to yep. to a point that where you the house became democratic control, that, so that does that should give these numbers should give a certain amount of optimism to uh, people who are supporting Democrats. It would yeah. seem to me. I think the the concern though is uh, what we saw in 2018, which was an overall uh, I think it was a seven or eight point national advantage for Democrats in the House vote. Uh, that Donald Trump could lose the national popular vote by six points. 
and, and still, still win, with win the electoral, the electoral college. college. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no question about that. And, you know, it, it will, as you said, it's going to depend very much on who the Democrats decide to use. Uh, you know, if it's going to be uh, someone who the centrists sort of feel comfortable with, those numbers could, could end up being very powerful for the Democrats. If it's someone who's seen as too extreme on the far left, that could be a challenge as well. So it's one of the things that is uh, is keeping the Democrats up at night, I would imagine. Yeah, so I think the, the one thing, though, that I'm taking away from this is that the as we look at the impeachment uh hearing the impeachment proceedings and vote that we're about to talk about is that those who are vehemently against Trump in this process are representing about half the public. Those who are vehemently for President Trump are representing about a third of the public. Big difference. Okay, so let's move on to how the Republic was challenged this week. And boy, this is a historic week. It was last night about 9 p.m. when the votes finally came through, and I kept my kids up. And I said, no, you're not going to sleep. And you're watching this because this is history. This is history happening right in front of our eyes for only the third time in the history of our country. A president has been impeached. Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and now President Donald John Trump has now been impeached. Uh, what, what do you think? I mean, what happened? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because, you know, my first political memory was very similar to what your kids are, are going through, which was my, I, and I was about the same age as your kids are now. My, my grandfather actually made me sit down in front of the TV, and this was in the summer of 1974, and said, this is going to be history. And that was uh, President Nixon announcing his resignation. Um, yeah, these are, are clear turning points in the country, and uh, this, is, this is going to be one. Uh, remember what we talked about in last week's um, episode, and if you didn't, we uh, go back and listen to to that because we broke down what the rationale is for this impeachment, and it's different than it was for Clinton's impeachment. Clinton's impeachment was he's basically sullied the office of the president. Donald Trump's impeachment is about uh, the threat that he poses to national security and the Constitution if he remains in office by his behavior, by his continued behavior. And uh, it's it's really fascinating. I think uh, one of the things that we were looking at was the expectation that there would be a number of defections by uh, the those Democrats who were just elected in 2018 in these Trump districts, and we, we saw very very few. We did saw, saw almost none of that. Um, that they stuck with the the Democratic Party on this. I, but the other side of it that we saw is that it was a party line vote. Uh, yeah. that he, there was that, I don't in know the Clinton impeachment. This. There were a few crossovers. We didn't get uh, yes, this there time. were. But it, it, I don't know if you caught this. There was about three minutes there where someone on the Republican side misvoted on Article Two. Did you? Were you happening? No, to, I, you I, wasn't watching? Wa- I wasn't watching the. Vote oh my gosh! Time. So the, I, I'm sitting there watching with the boys, and I went, "Oh my God, who's the one? Who's the one?" And they're like, "One what? One what?" I was like, "There's a Republican who's voting for for the articles," and then it went away, and Twitter was exploding. Who's the Republican? Who's the Republican? But it did not come to pass. Uh, also, I want to bring up one thing that happened in the uh, Judiciary Committee when the articles were moved from the Judiciary Committee to the House floor. If you watch this carefully, and this is from an actor perspective and the acting perspective, when the 23, because Lou was not available, he had had surgery that day. So instead of 24 Democrats and 17 Republicans, you really had 23 Democrats versus 17 Republicans. When Jerry Nadler, who gets a tip of the hat for a fine job for Jerry Nadler, he did a fine job in running that committee. When he calls for the vote, the 23 Democrats, each one of them flipped up their microphone 
and very powerfully said either I or yes. Then it went to the, Demo- to the Republican side, who had been fighting tooth and nail for days against this. Three of them flipped their microphone. And almost all of them said no with such pain in their hearts. You can, it is worth going back and seeing it. To, to, to look and watch Jim Jordan and uh, Congressman Collins, no. And the way they said it, the, knowing that they are on record for the rest of their lives as turning their back on this situation, you could see the pain in their bodies and in, in, in their souls, one could say. So that was something that really drew my attention. And you saw it yesterday as well, the Democrats coming forward with such power and the Republicans really just trying to, you know, against the ropes, just doing the rope-a-dope, trying to figure out a way to get out of this. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting because when you look at the difference between this and Clinton impeachment, there is no question that Clinton had done something wrong. And there's no question that Trump done something wrong, but there was no question on either side of the argument in 1998 that Clinton did something wrong. The question was, did it rise to the level of impeachment? And that was the argument. And that's why, if you remember back then, they were talking about the potential for censure rather Mm -hmm. than going through the impeachment process, which would have made more sense in retrospect because there would have been a clear censure of the president and and we would have moved on from that and took that as kind of a, a, a symbol that... Uh, Congress was going to exercise its oversight power responsibly and wasn't going to let anybody off, including one of their own, if they were a Democrat in that case. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what's in the mind of, of these Republicans. Uh, that you know, you you read that one way. I'm ready, reading it. I, 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 yeah. We keep hearing these or reading these stories that there are many Republicans out there who wish they could have voted uh, yes on impeachment because they really think he does deserve it. And it's just amazing that the, the only ones that we're hearing about this are, the, uh, are that are in support of this are Republicans who have left the party, like Justin Amash, um, mm-hmm. who, who made an interesting statement uh, on the floor of the, in the well of the House. Uh, you know, and, the, and former Republicans, former office holders, I say. No, they're current Republicans, but former office holders are the only ones who are willing to speak up. Yeah, it's it is it will be known in history and, and people will be asking that question. Now, here's the next question. Why does why does it matter? <laughs> what, what changes? Yeah, well, this is this is the big question. Why why did why did we need to do this? And uh, as you recall, even before we started this podcast, you and I were on different pages uh, with impeachment. And there was an article by Peter Baker in the New York Times on uh, Thursday morning. Uh, where, and I'll just read the, just the first sentence from it. From the day he took office, Mr. Trump made clear that he would not abide by the conventions of the system he inherited. Uh, so perhaps it was inevitable that at some point he would go too far for the opposition party. So this, is, this was always my point, is it was clear from the day he was elected, from, not from the day he took office, from the day he was elected, before he was elected, that he would not abide by the conventions, and yet he was still elected. So to the point where we saw all these things going along, where people were calling for his impeachment from day one because he wasn't abiding by these conventions, my point was, well, that was why he was elected. And if there was he, no serious call for from day one, there that's was a, not there, fair. Well, wait, no, not wait. serious. You serious on the few. part? Yes, I'm not saying can, serious on the part. Wait, hold on, let me finish. Serious on the part of certain individuals, not serious Fine, on the part of the party. But that's, that's not fair enough. But to, right? to suggest that they were calling for impeachment from day one, it's not. It's just not—to say—yes, Maxine Waters was calling for impeachment a week after he was 
uh, in office. But and God bless Maxine Waters for her passion and for her power. She kicked some butt yesterday on the on the House floor. But but let's just be serious. The, the, until the Mueller report and the situation with Russia came forward, that's when there was real talk about impeachment. Yeah, but I'm I'm being serious about the fact that there was talk about that this president could be impeached, and it was serious talk from from the very beginning because. We knew he was not going to abide by the conventions that a president, the norms of behavior, the constitutional norms that a president should. So there were those calls. And then there were the Maxine Water calls as well, which which were tied up in partisanship as much as anything else. And we saw those with Obama and we saw those with George W. Bush. as yeah, And well. we saw those with Hillary Clinton. There was right, talk right, of impeaching right. her if she were. Right. If so she were that was going to happen anyway. But there was some serious talk about that. So the point that I'm making is that. Trump was going to do, we knew Trump was going to do things that a generation ago would have not been acceptable for a president before he came into office. That a generation ago, if he did those things, that he would have been kicked out of office, no question. It would have taken, taken a while, but it would have happened. What I am saying is, with Peter Baker, that I think is interesting, is he said that, that perhaps it was inevitable that at some point he would go too far for the opposition party. My, and why, did, why does this matter, is that there should have been a check and balance from his fellow Republicans in Congress all along to say, don't go step over this line or that'll be too much for us. And it's the Republicans in Congress who abrogated their responsibility to keep that check and balance when they and they had both control of both chambers on him. They just let that's him right. run wild. Good, very that, excellent point. That was the that's the point I'm making. And there. also what you had during that time, it's reminding me of an interview that came out just a couple of ah, three weeks ago with John Kelly where he said that he was being interviewed and he got slammed for this, where he said, look, I said to the president, if you, if I'm not here and you're just going to replace me with a yes man, you're going to get impeached because there are things that I, I'm, I've been that guardrail for you. You're now not going to have that guardrail. Right. You're going to run into some real trouble. And if John Kelly was still the chief of staff. I mean, no one's really discussed this, but if John Kelly's the chief of staff, does any of this happen? Right. Yeah, I don't Maybe know. Maybe not. Probably not. One would think that Kelly would be like, you can't do this. You're not allowed to hold up aid to a for your own personal political future. You're not allowed to do that, and you're not going to do that, right? And once Kelly leaves, all the guardrails are gone. Mick Mulvaney said, I'm, my job is to let the president be the president. That's what I'm here to do. So then he has an accomplice as opposed right. to a guardrail. Yeah. All right. So this is and why it matters from my perspective is that now we have on record that the actions of this president are detrimental to this republic and that if these actions go unchecked, the, the Democratic Republic that has been in place since 1776 with all of the challenge, well, the Democratic Republic really hasn't been there since 1787, but the beginnings of of the nation, if, if these actions aren't checked, the nation will go. The Republic right. will go. And so what I saw as, as it mattered was that's why I picked this quote of George Washington, that the government, though not absolutely perfect, is one of the best in the world. I have little doubt, based on what happened last night, from my perspective, the, the government worked. The House did its job. The House did its job, but not in a bipartisan manner. And this is what I'm concerned about uh, going forward, is that, that we've just simply... There's, there, are, there aren't the checks. There aren't the internal checks that would keep a president in line, that a president would say, oh, I better not do this or I'll get in trouble and in trouble for my own party right. uh, for well, doing this. Yeah. It's, it's not that he can't get away with a lot of things that he would want to do. Uh, it was that there was no there was, there was was no point that was too far for Republicans, not only those who None. serve in his in administration, but particularly in Congress. 
that was what was disheartening. So you looked at those people and you said that they were pained and some of them probably were pained and others I think have just, my guess, I I don't know. I can't get in their heads because I guess they've just convinced themselves that this is. No, that's what I'm telling you. I don't know. Go ahead. Have you watched it? Have you watched it? Did you watch the actual votes? Yes, I did. And I didn't, I didn't. You didn't see it the same way. I didn't see it the same way. Yeah. I I saw it very, I've watched it twice and both times. Watch Jim Jordan, the way he leans back in his chair, puts his eyes low and goes, no, no. It's like, it's like when my six-year-old and I say, did you take that cookie? And he goes, no, no. I'm like, yeah, you did. You took the cookie. I can tell by the look on your face. <laughs> so when he's asked, is should he be impeached for this for this abuse of power? No. No, I'm telling you. I, I think that what they're doing is they're... Uh, I, I once saw uh, Joe Walsh talk about Jim Jordan and say that uh, Jordan doesn't really believe in this. He's just... A, he's an athlete, and he's fighting for the Republicans. And that's what I saw. I just see people who are yeah, on what their about, side. What about, thing, what about like Gomert and uh, Ratcliffe? And, no, and Ratcliffe Stewart. was a shock to me because Ratcliffe I saw as a real true believer. The way he said no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe it. For, I'm going I'm to do it for you. He, he went, no, 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 no. Like we were, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm but, telling but, you. Here, but when he filed his vote card, because then you got to confirm your vote on a card, mm-hmm. uh, on the no vote above no, he wrote hell no. That's fine. And, then, and sure. then he said, if anything deserves a hell no, it's this. So Fair enough. Uh, you know is, what? Is that, just he, play, is that just playing to his audience of one over there in the White House? Doubt. Without a doubt. Because if he really meant hell no, there was one guy. Was it was it uh, the, the older gentleman, Gobert? Uh, Gobert? I'm sorry. I'm losing his name. Yeah, Gobert. But he yeah. went, I want this. He flipped up his microphone and he said no. And how was my vote counted? I just want to make sure that it was counted as no. Right. He's the one guy who, right. to me, Louis Gomer, I think Louis. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from, from he, Texas, he's the he's the one fella, and the woman. Uh, there was one congresswoman as well, and but even the way she said it, it was clear that she was lying. But if you yeah. look at that, you see people. But no, Gomer, no. Gomer was the one who got who walked back into the well of the house after he was the one who in the debate in the well of the house was the one who said yeah, Ukraine was responsible for uh, the election interference. And, right. and Nadler think said, lady, Nadler said it is, it, I don't, I don't have Nadler's exact quote, but he said, this is, this is, uh, Russian it's really, propaganda. really, uh, really unacceptable or, or, or disheartening that we have Russian propaganda espoused by a member of the, of this house. And then Gomer came back and started yelling. Uh, we didn't hear him, but, uh, yeah, so he's, he's definitely a true believer, but yeah. Yeah. Think me Rath think the lady different. doth protest too much yeah. is what me thinks. Okay. Okay. Now let's move on to an interesting little sidebar of this, which actually becomes the, the map for how things are going to move forward. Lawrence Tribe, who was head of constitutional law at Harvard University. He was Adam Schiff's teacher. He was Ted Cruz's teacher. President Obama, Barack Obama, was his law clerk for four years. I believe it was four years. Um, he is one of the, the, truly one of the great minds in our country having to do with constitutional law. About three months ago, he put forward this idea, which we spoke about on the show. I remember discussing this, about taking it through impeachment and then not sending the letters, the articles of impeachment to the Senate. And at that time, I remember you sort of saying, yeah, that doesn't work. And I sort of said, yeah, it may not work, but I think it might be a good idea if it's not going to get a fair trial. So I'm going to set the rest of this up. Mitch McConnell, this past weekend on Hannity, or last Friday on Hannity, basically came out and said that this trial that this trial is going to be, uh, it's, it's in the bag for the president. That he, as the majority leader of the Senate, is working in concert with the White House counsel. 
That was a shocking thing to to have heard. Lindsey Graham continued along with a similar saying, I'm not a, 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 a juror who doesn't have an opinion. I've got my opinion. This is going against the vow that they have to take at the beginning of the impeachment. Larry Tribe then puts out an op-ed article the other day, basically saying that what the what Pelosi should do is put out, go through the articles of impeachment and then not send it forth because it's not going to be a fair trial in the Senate. The question then became, well, what's the mechanism for that? How is that going to work? Is there a law that says that this is okay? It seems that the House, that Pelosi got wind of this. I actually saw on Lawrence O'Donnell last night um, this talk that this article actually made it into the bloodstream of the Democratic caucus. And Pelosi apparently must have said, well, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Figure out a way to do it. And then someone figured out, well, you need to name House managers. And until you name House managers, it, it can't go to the Senate because they can't, you know, try the case. And so last night after the vote, <laughs> where <laughs> when it voted and a couple of people clapped and Nancy Pelosi gives her the mom, no, don't man, you that, dare, one of the I, best I moments. Hope, I, I hope everyone's seen that, 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 if you that haven't, side just, eye that, you, that she Oh my was goodness, it was just, don't you dare. It was like being back in Temple when I was a kid. It's like, shh, <laughs> shh. Um, but, but she was asked, are you going to send the articles over to the Senate? And she was very sort of cagey at first, saying, well, we'll see if there's a fair trial. That got the media went, started going nuts. And they're like, well, what is a fair trial? What is a fair trial? And she basically said, I'll tell you what's not a fair trial. What's not a fair trial is the Senate Majority Leader saying that he that it's already set up and everything else. So it looks like Tribes Law, which is what I've named it, it's called <laughs> Tribes Law, Tribes Law or Tribes Idea is actually coming to pass. How do you think with that large setup, how do you think this is going to move forward? I have my thoughts, but how do you yes. think this is going to move forward? So just to confirm, you know, usually what happens when a bill passes one chamber, it is then declared the chair or the speaker or whoever's sitting in the chair declares that the law has been passed and it should move on to its next step, whatever the next step is, either a signature by a governor or president or it goes to the next chamber for, uh, for uh, confirmation. Um, in this case, there's no such thing, and, and that rarely you, you never see something held up. But I think Pelosi's argument here, which is a good one, is that in a normal trial, in a court trial, everybody knows what the rules of a trial are. So the lawyers walk in and they know what the rules are. So she's saying, I, but in a Senate trial, Senate impeachment trial, the Senate makes the rules up each time for each impeachment, and the rules are different each time. I can't appoint my lawyers to, to run this until I know what the trial is. What the structure of the trial. Mm. So it's a great argument that she has because now what she's done, and man, again, the most politically astute leader in Washington of our generation, is that she has given the moderates um, who went with the party and voted for impeachment, that she's given them their out. They've done their job. Now they can get back to work. They can go yes. back to their constituents and say, hey, we're working on health care. We're working on infrastructure. We're working on all these other things because we got, uh, you know, impeachment is off our, our plate. And she can then hold on to it and say, hey, we're going to just let this drag out a little longer um, until we feel we can get a fair trial or who knows, maybe some new evidence comes yeah, up. Exactly. So and McConnell's spokesperson last night said, this is the, the funniest thing. They must be so scared of Mitch. The, the you know, the Nancy Pelosi has pulled the pin on the grenade and is going to keep it on her side. Here's the issue. No, she just got the grenade in her hand. She hasn't pulled the pin yet. And what she's doing is saying, I'm not going to pull this pin until you prove that you're going to give a fair 
trial. And what this does, what you just said, is it gives the opportunity of something that you've been talking about for a long time, of giving a little bit more time for more evidence to come through, most specifically President Trump's taxes. Now, there's another little sidebar here that's terribly exciting for the Democrats, if you're looking at it from that perspective, which is this. Donald Trump doesn't want a quick trial. Donald Trump wants a show trial. He wants, I want I want Hunter Biden. I want Joe Biden. I want everybody to testify. I want it to be shown that this was a perfect call and everyone can go hang themselves as far as I'm concerned, right? And you've got Mitch McConnell on the other side saying, no, we're going to take this very, we're going to just get, we're going to move this through fast. We're going to get rid of this. It's going to be no problem. Well, now Trump is going to be banging the drum at McConnell saying, give her what she wants because it's the same thing that I want. So what tribes law does is exactly what Professor Tribe put in his op-ed article saying it gives Chuck Schumer the leverage to work with. Now, I happen to have uh, discussed this with Gary Kasparov, who is the great chess master. And what he said was, he said it's a, I'm not going to do my Gary Kasparov impression. <laughs> um, I won't do that. But what he basically said was, yes, this is this actually makes a tremendous amount of sense to move forward in this way, but you got to be strong behind it. You got to sell it, which is you're not, he, he gave a tweet yesterday basically saying it's telling McConnell, it's putting a big middle finger up to McConnell and saying, do it straight or you don't get to do it. That means if he, let's say it never makes it to the Senate, that means you have a president who has been impeached and not been acquitted. And that is something that we've never seen before. We've never seen it go through this process, but hey, we've never seen a president like President Trump before. So this is my thought if we go to the prognosis of yeah, where I was we are say. right now. So I, I think it's improved from where it's been in the past two weeks. Uh, but again, I'm saying, you know, and the prognosis is for the health of the republic, not for ousting President Trump, mm-hmm. not for the short-term gains for anybody. It's the long-term health of the republic, restoring public trust in constitutional processes. Now, I think it's gone up from maybe 1% uh, a week ago to 10%. <laughs> so no, it's, it wasn't still, one well, way. Well, no, you, no said- you, you disagree with me. Uh, I still, that's where I am. I'm still right. only at 10%. Uh, you know, but it's 10% is better than 1%. That's where I stand. That's where I stand. That's then I'm going to tell you that's an absurd stance because to say that it was at 1% last week is, I mean, I was not high, but to get one out of a hundred, no. Anyway, uh, and that it jumped to 10, I I, I am, I am heartened by it. Here's one of the things I'm also more heartened by. We're taking this out. No, 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 no. You got, you got to explain why you're heartened by this. Why do you Uh, think that in, in 10, five or 10 years, the public will have their faith back in the Constitution that members of Congress, leaders in Congress, will look at their job of checks and balances at, uh, properly, will start compromising to work together. Here what comes. have you seen in the past five days that has, cha- that has improved your opinion that that will happen in five, ten years? Here it comes. The setup that we had with the House impeaching the president on a purely partisan basis, then moving to the Senate and him being absolutely acquitted, would have set us up on a, on a, on a road to destruction, okay? Because what it basically would have said to President Trump is that he can get away with anything. And he can get away with anything. And not only can he get away with anything, but further, future presidents are going to be able to get away with anything if there are future presidents that don't have the name Trump, Right. That was my main and major concern. What what heartens me? Yeah, today. I will. I will agree with you because if it did that, that, that if that happened, then then Trump would be able to say, "See, I can do anything I want," and it would get worse, and, and we'd have election interference yep. from Russia. Get 
even bigger. Yes, I agree with you. So go it ahead. Would be, it, it would, we would not have elections. Here's, here's what I see happening and, and what I'm heartened by. We're now out of the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives is a really tough place to get anything done in terms of finding any kind of bipartisan anything because it's, it's just a street fight there in the House. The Senate, even though we've had street fights in the Senate, holds itself to a higher standard. So the idea that now you're either not going to get a trial in the Senate, which is fine by me, or you're going to get a fair trial in the Senate, opens up the idea that these facts will come to, to vision for everybody, that we can all start agreeing on what actually happened. And Pelosi, with Tribe's Law, holds this grenade until she has the assurance of that, which means at least one thing, at least for now, for now, we're not going to have the automatic acquittal in the Senate. And Maggie Haberman posted on, it was Axios, it was Jonathan Swan, actually, who posted in the middle of the day, that's when I started seeing this tribe thing was actually gaining some, some momentum. Jonathan Swan said that the president in the White House is very concerned about this idea of doing this. And Maggie Haberman sort of pointed at it on Twitter saying, hey, look at this. This is absolutely true. Then you saw Lindsey Graham this morning. Everyone's exploding on the Senate side. This is an absolute Trumpian curveball or mm-hmm. a McConnell curveball where it's like, oh, well, this isn't how things are supposed to go. No, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, well, Merrick Garland, that wasn't the way things were supposed to go. And that's the way things went. And now Nancy Pelosi, as you say, the best political leader of our generation, is holding the cards. So at least for this week, the prognosis for the future of the republic is better than than the direction that I thought we were going in. Well, we both agree on that. It's better. We just, I think, are different places in terms of our (laughs) optimism or pessimism. I got more optimistic nature than you do. Yeah, I think I think that in in and of itself is intrinsically true. All right, so 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 that's where we are this week. So let's move on to um, now our hot take segment. Uh, This is where we have ninety seconds to discuss uh, different items in the news, and when you hear the sound. It's time to move on to the next topic. Uh, so first up, um, let's look at what happened on the House and during the debate. And let's talk about the, what the Democrats said. What do you think about the, the Democrat speeches on the floor? I made a brief mention of this earlier, that it was really Steny Hoyer and Adam Schiff uh, gave their best speeches of their careers yesterday. They were fighting for the Republic. And you saw that in their, in their work. Everyone, everyone on the Democratic side, because we're talking first about the Democratic, then we're going to get into the Republican side. Everyone on the Democratic side stepped forward as if to say, this is the moment where our Constitution and Republic is being challenged. We must step up to this moment. I've never been a huge Standing Hoyer fan. Yeah. Uh, partially just because he's been in, you know, it just feels like he's been in power for so long. You know, we look back at Pelosi and when Tim Ryan and Seth Moulton were trying to take Pelosi out, I guess it was about two years ago, um, and which but, seems foolish yeah. now. But with Steny Hoyer and, you know, th- that leadership has been in place for so many years. Yesterday was the day where I went, well, okay, look well, at that, Steny well, Hoyer. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you. that you haven't talked about the performance aspect of this because we, we were listening, listening to loads of yelling. Uh, particularly on the Republican side, but even, you know, not as much yelling on the Democratic side, but I think some standard th- things that have, have been coming out. Steny Hoyer just gave an entirely different type of speech than anybody else uh, out, out there. And it, I, it really pulled you in, uh, speaking low, speaking somberly, 
this is the kind of thing that you talk about all the time with your performance skills. And it just drew you in. You were paying attention to every word that he was saying. It was a really uh, good performance. One of the things that I want to say that I was disappointed with in the Democratic speeches, and maybe I missed this because I didn't see every single speech, but they didn't talk about the foreign influence and, and the, the Federalist Papers and uh, how, how the founders Schiff were... Did. Schiff yeah. had a moment about it. And also just quickly on Schiff, him going to tears... Hey, you're, 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 hey, 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 you're over your time there. Very buddy, good. Now buddy. let's move on. Let's move on now to our to the Republican side of the aisle. You're talking about screaming. What did you see? I saw a lot of screaming. So I mentioned the Louis Gohmert uh, incident uh, where he talked about uh, the Ukraines are the ones that are responsible for that. And then he came back. Uh, but yeah, it was just really oh, oh, the, the moment of silence. For the 63 million, you have a moment of science for people who are dead. What are you trying to tell us? You want to kill these people off? I, I, I'm being facetious here, but it was just so bizarre. The, yeah. the, com, the, 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 uh, the comparison to Pearl Harbor. The, the comparison to Pearl Harbor. Another then, day that we'll live in. And infinity. then uh, Freddie uh, Keller was reading uh, from the Gospel of Luke when Jesus says to yeah. those who are crucifying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Like, and so, then you, know pastor, that, you know what? Hey, hey, for all you evangelicals out there, that is the dictionary definition of idolatry. It's a violation of the first commandment when you say something like that. Yeah, they get away with it. This Whoa. is just amazing to me. Wow, look at you, man. You're getting a really thing. Um, now, Collins also came out very small. I mean, maybe this was just my perspective, but him calling out Schiff at every turn, saying it'd be great if you would come in front of the Judiciary Committee, that sort of little battle back and forth. Going back to the childhood thing where I was talking about you know, kids, it was like, nah, nah, poo-poo, now I'm calling on this guy, so I'm not going to give you a chance to, to respond. And Schiff handled himself with elegance through that process. It was a very challenging, it's very challenging to watch um, people who are fighting what it was seems sad. to be very, what seems to very be sad. Okay, let's move on now to uh, Van Drew, who is a New Jersey guy, so someone who you know a little bit about. And we'll also just talk about Tulsi Gabbard yeah. and her present. Yeah, so, so go ahead. Start so, with Van Drew, though, because yeah, yeah, that's so, your guy. So we had, uh, on the, we have uh, Jeff Van Drew from New Jersey, Colin Peterson from Minnesota, voted no on the first uh, article. They were joined by Jared Golden of Maine on the second article. Which I kind of think was clever. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, so he did I, I and he like did that. it. He got it both ways. And yeah. then you had uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who vo- the presidential candidate from Hawaii, who voted present on both. Yes. So she didn't take a position on either. So let me ta- start with Van Drew because I, I, I know of him. I don't know him really well. Uh, but this is a guy who then is, is sent out, like, as soon as he realized that he was going to have a problem in a, in a Democratic primary because of internal polling that we found out that he's had. And I've talked to some of the folks who have worked with him on his campaigns since he was in the state legislature. And this is a guy who's done this all along. He's tried to play it both ways. He's always been cute, as the governor of New Jersey has called him. Um, and so he met with President Trump. Uh, he met with Kellyanne Conway, who actually is from his congressional district. You remember, she grew up about 20 miles away from me. Um, so I know this area very well. Know this guy. Know, know the most history. This is a guy who just tries to play it both ways. So anyway, his, his staff deserted him right away. Now he's talking about, he said, well, maybe I will run in the Democratic primary, but no, every, everybody's deserted him. That, that bridge has been burned. Um, that was guy, a great tweet of yours, yes. by the way. I enjoyed that tweet. That was a good tweet. You put, if you're not following Patrick Murray on Twitter, you should, because yeah. he can be funny. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so, uh, yeah, I so. Uh, this is a guy who's just, who's a non-entity. 
who's and who's, he will and, and he's not going to find a home in the Republican Party. I wouldn't guess. Yeah, no, unless, unless Donald Trump says, unless Donald Trump comes in and says, "This is absolutely my guy." Yeah, but he's going to get yesterday. Did he yeah, kind of start to say, right. "Well, maybe I'll be a Democrat." Yeah, yeah he's no, going to. He yeah, guess what? He's going to learn a little bit about uh, how Donald Trump stands by people. And, and, and Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard. I want to talk about Tulsi Gabbard in the few seconds we have left because that is Jill Stein, folks. She is running. In the third, as a third-party candidate, going to try to be an alternative to the Democrat. If you don't want Trump, you can vote for Gabbard. It'll it'll bring down the Democrats' numbers. She is an asset. I'm calling it out. Sorry. Okay, so let's uh, move on to our next topic. So there was that letter, that six-page letter from Donald Trump. He had that uh, that that rally in Michigan where he really disrespected John Dingle and okay, Debbie so Dingle. So what do you think? First, what do you think of that? The six-page screed, okay, what I found interesting was Glenn Kirshner, who is an NBC legal analyst, was on Meet the Press Daily uh, two days ago, and he, it was the day that the letter came out, and Chuck Todd is like, I can't believe this letter, and Glenn Kirshner just simply said, I got, he was a prosecutor, he said, I got letters like this before constantly from from people who said, you know, from people who were on trial, and the one thing it told me was, one, they're guilty as hell. And two, they're very scared about how things are going to go for them in court. And that's why you end up getting letters like these. It was a, it's a disastrous letter. Uh, and then Hugh, uh, Hugh Hewitt saying that it was, uh, you know, going to be like the Gettysburg Address as one of the most important. It was, it was, it was sad, actually. Um, now on the, yeah, on the Hugh Dingle. Hugh Hewitt is, is sad overall. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't know how. I, I, yeah. Anybody who's hired him. I don't, just don't understand. So anyway. And then ahead. Dingle's, the, 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 the shout out at Dingle last night. I mean, did you see it? Did you see what he said? Yes, I did. It was it, gross. And it, it was, was disgusting. Horrible. It was absolutely disgusting. And it actually so basically said that because he, and all of it was false, but he basically said that Dingle was looking up from hell was his little joke, which, and he was in Michigan when he said it. Fred Upton, who's a congressman from Michigan, who just voted to acquit and not move forward on impeachment, then tweeted this out. I've always looked up to John Dingle, my good friend and a great Michigan legend. There was no need to diss him in a crass political way. Most unfortunate, an apology is due. So maybe the House starts talking. Yeah. It'd be good to see. We'll see. I haven't seen All it right. so far. All right. Now, you uh, you wanted to discuss the Nebraska State Senator John McAllister, who was our guardian of the week on August 6th. He started Republicans for Impeachment. What do right. you got? So, yeah. So he started this uh, movement uh, to say, hey, uh, I think Donald Trump had said something. You, uh, you Republicans are united. And he said, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not united. You've done something wrong. And so he asked for other Republicans to step forward and and say their story about why they support impeaching Donald Trump. And this goes to, yeah, I said, I said this before, I think the, the only ones that we're hearing from are the uh, Republicans are those who are out of office, like the John Kasichs of the world. Uh, we had this group, uh, Steve Schmidt and uh, John... Uh, yep. uh, Conway, George Conway. Conway George Conway, the Lincoln, yeah. the, Lincoln the, the, Lincoln, the Lincoln Project. They started the Lincoln Project. Uh, yeah, but we're the ones that are inside. So Fred Upton said this, but... You know, what does it, is he, is he thinking about the fact that he just voted to, uh, not to impeach this guy? Uh, and what we were just talking about is how Donald Trump feels enabled to, to go even further than he has well, before. I, I mean, mean, if we're going back to Upton there, the, I think that Upton's sort of saying, look, I did your dirty work for you and now I'm going to tell you how I feel. 
Yeah, but my, my, my concern is like what McAllister is getting, and I saw some a lot of the replies to him were people who have left the Republican Party, like the Justin Amashes of the world, or Republicans who are not in office anymore. We still aren't hearing from the Republicans who are in office. And this goes back to your, like, what's next? And, and mm-hmm. you know, we haven't heard a strong stance from the uh, the Romneys and, and Collins and Murkowski's. Not yet. And but, not, yet. But, not yet. But I need but to hear that. The, we, the tide has changed. Tribes law might change it all. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move on. Uh, so last, uh, let's just uh, talk a little bit about this Democratic debate. Now, we're recording before the Democratic debate. You might be listening to this after the Democratic debate. So what's your thoughts about uh, what the debate, the debate tonight? Yeah. Well, it's 11.45 a.m. when we're recording this. Um, and so we'll see the debate tonight and we'll talk about the debate next week. I actually think, you know, talking about the impeachment is going to be somewhat challenging for the senators who are still seated, Warren, Sanders, and Klobuchar. That's the people that say who's going to be in the debate. Biden, Warren, Sanders, Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Yang, and Steyer, which is just silly that Steyer's yeah. on that stage. So they're going to have to be a little bit careful because they don't want to come off in the same way that McConnell just came off, right? But the thing that they can discuss is a, a, a court ruling that just came out on the day that the president was impeached, Obamacare is in further peril. Yeah. And so if they're smart... What they're going to do is talk not just about Trump. That's that's been like they, they need to make mention of the impeachment, of course, and that how important it is for the House to have done what they did. But they need to start getting to the business of the country, which is what all the Democrats should be doing at this point now. Yeah, now and that that's it. That's that's what I think about the debate. So we have these seven folks on the debate. Uh, we've mentioned before, you know, Cory Booker is not on the stage. He didn't reach the polling, uh, uh, the polling uh, threshold. Uh, but the question, you got to get back to the bread and butter issues. This is what people care about when they're looking at going forward. So I, I agree with you. I think this Obamacare thing is uh, really important for uh, you know them talking about what they are going to do as president. And hopefully we will be great. We'll grade this out when we get to it next. Um, okay, now let's move on to our Guardian of the Week. Um, and actually, it was my uh, proposal this week, which Patrick did agree with. Yes. Um, the Guardian of the Week goes to a person or persons who are putting their own political future in peril for the sake of the Republic. That's why they are the Guardian of the Republic for the week. Um, and I propose the first-year Democrats in Trump districts, particularly, uh, most famously, is Elisa Slotkin, who we saw this past week uh, in a town hall meeting really just get ripped Hammered, apart. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that so many of them were willing to say, look, I'm probably going to lose because of this vote, but right. the vote is more important than me. Yeah. The so, country yeah, we can't we can't name them me. all. We can't name them all because, in fact, there are so many of them. We were we were thinking that there could be some defections. And in fact, so the only ones that we saw are, as I mentioned before, Jeff Andrew and then half on Jared Golden, who tried to play it a little bit both ways. But the other ones all said, look, the might oath to the Constitution, the threat to the Republic that that Donald Trump poses are significantly more important than whatever happens in 2020. And they absolutely put that aside and said, this is this is what I need to do if I'm going to be true to my oath. Or there are a lot of others who are like that are in just such tough spots. And Slotkin is definitely one of them in one of the Trumpiest districts uh, that was won in 2018 by a Democrat. And, and this is what we're what you're asking for from the Republican side is put your it doesn't your future doesn't matter as much as the country's future. 
Yeah. Your, you know, and someone said, you know, for $147,000 and for free, uh, free train fare, I think it was, why are these people, why are these people willing to sell their souls just to stay in the house? Yes. Or just to stay in the Senate? Yeah. Well, you, know? you have to run for these. If you want to run for office, you have to have a, a larger than average ego to begin with. And that means you have to think that your presence in this chamber is of significant importance. And sometimes you have to step back and realize, no, that, that doesn't matter as much as the bigger whole. One other shout out I'm going to make is because I proposed her for the Guardian of the Week last week. Uh, which you rejected, and I, you know, because of our rule, because of the rules of the Senate, um, we, she did not qualify. But Nancy Pelosi, um, just the strength in which she has moved forward with this impeachment. If it was a lesser Speaker of the House who was in that position, I am not sure that it would have been as successful as it was. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to give her the Guardian, but I just want to give a tip of the hat to her. Um, <laughs> she's all the right. I'll let you, you know you, you're straying here. You're, you're, you're taking liberties here with our structure on our thing. But I mean, I, there's no, there's no way I, I disagree with you. Obviously, that that good. Um, she well, has, good. Then she it's, has, a, it's a. She has been. Um, it, it just if, step outside of whatever side of this argument you are, and just look at how she's handled this. And I, it's just been uh, just and everything that she's had to juggle to get to this point. Now I don't know whether she's successful yet. But she's trying to play it as successfully as she possibly can. She's so, played yeah. it. I mean, and, and again, let's let's not let's just say as we're we're leaving you for this week, tribes law. That's gonna be that's what what's gonna be discussed. Tribes law. Okay. So that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. If you have any suggestions for a George Washington quote or a Guardian of the Week that both Ian and I can agree on, uh, please reach out to us on Twitter at Guardians O T R. You leave us a direct message there. And please make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes immediately on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And please give us a rating so others can find us. Also, check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be taking a holiday break next week, but we will be Oh, back. so then we're going to be talking about the debate the, fo- the following week. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll be before. very close to another debate, right? right? So but we'll take the holiday break. But we will be back with a new episode first thing in the new year. So look for us. Have a great, happy, have very happy holiday and a very happy and healthy new year to all of our listeners. Thank you. See you.